And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 197, uh, aka season 3, episode 17, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, uh, doing the show podcast only again this week as uh, MC is on another pop-up vacation, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, not in town, so unable to uh, collaborate with me this week. Hopefully we'll have him back next week, um, but just me. And as you know what that means, uh, when I do the show alone, it's boring uh, for me because I like the interaction uh, of a co-host or a caller, if you guys ever figure that stuff out. Uh, so we have another rousing edition of Richie Rich Reads the News. Um, however, before we get into that, I have a, a couple, I think, a couple of gripes uh, that I want to get off my chest uh, before we get into the news. And it's uh, unfortunately... Unfortunately, it is nothing new uh, in my life. Just uh, more examples of, um, well, for lack of a better term, <laughs> things that grind my gears. Uh, if you're if you're familiar with and friends of Family Guy, uh, and the the first one um, is another case of the libertarian left um, distorting the language, and I don't I don't have a better way to phrase that. And in discussing it with the left libertarian, the impasse that we came to was that both sides uh, found that the other side was the distorter, the corrupter of the language. And again, this is nothing new. This is, you know, uh, as as a self-described uh, ANCAP, anarcho-capitalist, uh, voluntarist, uh, libertarian, depending on what circle I happen to be standing in, uh, what bothers me the most is that the left libertarian people will propose what I consider to be uh, capitalist ideas and capitalist theories, and then in the next breath, claim to be anti-capitalist. Uh, and basically what I mean by that is they come up with new terms like uh, syndicalism uh, or mutualism. <clears throat> And they, they, they propose, you know, free markets and freedom. And they go, but we don't want that capitalism. And I go, well, you're describing it, right? Like, in, you know, in, in my definition, you're, that's what you're describing. You're describing capitalism, which is, you know, the, the private ownership of property. Uh, and then they go, well, that's not capitalism. Capitalism is, you know, capitalist control over the state. And I go, okay, if I grant you that, then I'll say, anarcho-capitalism, which is there's no state to control, so it's just private business owners <laughs> doing what? You know, uh, providing providing goods and services to, to a buying public. And they go, no, capitalism requires a state. I go, no, that's why you, I, if you even if I grant you that, I already hyphenated it, so we eliminate that state part. Um, and then what I got was uh, a history lesson. And a pointless history lesson, in my opinion, a history lesson going back to the beginning of times where words were devised and developed and, you know, what words originally meant. And I go, fine, but that, again, does not take into account uh, that the English language changes over time, right? Words don't necessarily mean uh, what they used to mean. And then he's, you know, then, then this left libertarian says, well, you know, any word that has more than one definition is practically useless. And I go, well, bullshit again, because if you look at a dictionary, son, uh, or, or dad, because he was an older gentleman, uh, if you look at a dictionary, most words have more than one definition. And then all you have to do is like pick the one that you're using and you're using the word in context. Um, <clears throat> So there was that, uh, so there was that. And then we, you know, then it, it carried on right? Uh, you know, way longer than it needed to. Cause as I'm getting the history lesson, I'm thinking to myself, what is the point of all this? Right? Like even if, even if I grant that words meant one thing in the 1800s, you know, we don't speak in the 1800s and I've seen debates, right? You know, where, where, uh, in, in, you know, to, in order to get terms straight in the debate, they go like, well, what dictionary are I going to use? 
And there are debaters, right, who prefer like the 1839 Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, and that's the, you know, the be-all, be end-all source of the definitions for words. And I go, okay, <clears throat> are we doing that? And he goes, no, we're not doing that. I go, all right, so what, <laughs> so what do these words mean? You know, like I, I'm giving you my definition. I've heard your definition. I've granted your definition uh, a little bit, right? Insofar as, you know, that could have been the definition in the 1800s when the word was invented, but it's not what it means now. It's not held in the common parlance um, of, of discussion. And he said, well, no, it's just not common in the small little uh, libertarian world, right? So I, you know, I'm like, all right, fine again um and that's you know that again that's my problem with uh left libertarians um with within the libertarian community in general um it's this this hanger on mentality that confuses and muddles any sort of dis any sort of discussion uh, outside of that environment right like i'm a big fan uh, of jeffrey tucker's work um and i've, I've never met the man um, but I, I like, I like his writings. I liked hearing what he had to say. And yet my biggest complaint with him is the, the need to control the term liberal, right? Because back when classical liberal, back in the days, it meant something it meant freedom. Like, well, it doesn't mean that anymore. So you got, you got to lose the term, you know, you, you, you got to drop it. Um, well then, then well, well, classical liberals, I go, no one knows what that means. Um, so use a new word, right? And as, as it stands right now, um, in my experience, um, capitalism for better or worse means what most people think it means. And that's, you know, private ownership, uh, over, over goods or the means of production, which he said was an antiquated terminology back to whatever era. I go, well, it makes sense. You know, who, who owns the stuff that produces the things? And if I'm allowed to own it, well, then it's, I consider that to be capitalistic. Um, if I'm not allowed to own it, well, what are you saying then? You know, what's, what's the other term for that? And so again, I asked him, if you don't like the term capitalism, when I give you the definition, uh, private ownership over the means of production or private ownership of capital, like what word should I attach to that? Right? We have a definition. We need a word. Uh, and he didn't have an answer. It was like, there's nothing there. I was like, all right. So how do we do this? You know, like this is, this is, again, this is my problem with you people, uh, is, is like, uh, a failure to communicate. Um, like, I feel like I'm bending over backwards, uh, trying to, trying to nail down, you know, fundamental ideas and get fundamental words. Uh, and they're just not allowing it to happen because they have this, what I'm going to consider to be like a limited scope of understanding even with the ginormous history lesson that I got, right? There's this limited scope of understanding of, of how things are uh, as opposed to how things were. <clears throat> and so I did a study, right? I, you know, I have a, I have a normal job. I don't interact with a lot of people, but I do have, you know, a coworker um, who I talk to quite a bit. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm venting my frustrations to him. Uh, and I considered him to be like your average everyday normal guy. Right. I mean, he's not um, from from our discussions, he's focused on family. And so he's not we never really got into like the political or the religious debates uh, or discussions at work. I don't know if it's just because he's too nice of a guy. So we stay away from it or, you know, we just it hasn't come up. So I asked him, like when I when I say the term like you're the average everyday normal guy now. Right. When I said when I say the term capitalism. What does that mean to you? Like, what, what, is, what is your understanding of that word? And he says to me, uh, it basically means that I'm, I have the freedom to do what I want. You know, like I just, there's, there's, no, there's no restrictions. I go, okay, good, good. I, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that, right? I, I mean, it's not, it's not perfect, but it's a, it's a very general um, average, everyday, normal guy understanding of what the definition is. So thank you. You know, I, I, at that point I felt validated because I go like, why, why do the left libertarians not understand that? Like, do they do, are they in such a bubble, um, 
that they don't know how to communicate with anybody outside of their bubble. Because if they're, if they're trying to convince non-libertarians or, you know, non-left libertarians, um, that free markets are good, right? And we already have this term capitalism that basically means a free market. And if you think it means, you know, a state controlled market, then fine. I'll add the anarcho hyphen to that. And we can eliminate that aspect of it. Um, even to the point where people ask me, they go like, well, what's an ANCAP? Like, what does that mean? I go, anarcho-capitalism. Well, what does that mean? I go like, capitalist economic structure without state intervention, right? I consider it to be redundant. Uh, lefty dude considers it to be like a contradiction in terms, like an oxymoron. I go, it can't be an oxymoron because they're, they're two distinct things, right? One is one is like, one is one is a uh, a political philosophy and the other is an economic philosophy. Um, and and whereas the two intertwine, uh, it's not necessary, which is why you can, which is why I bend over backwards and I don't, you know, I don't straight up call myself a, a capitalist, um, in, in certain circles. And I don't consider myself, uh, you know, uh, well, I always consider myself to be an anarchist, but in certain circles, I don't, I don't like bandy about the term, um, too much, right? Like I'll, I'll say voluntarist or I'll say libertarian again, depending on the circle. If I'm in a room of libertarians, I'm the fucking anarchist. Um, you better believe that. Um, and if we're having a, an economic discussion, I'll throw in the ANCAP, uh, you know, hyphenation there as well, but either way. So we, we, you know, I, I, so I validate myself with this, you know, terminology of, of the word and I go, okay, so, you know, whereas I have my own personal bubble, you know, when I do this show and I talk to, you know, other, uh, ANCAPs and voluntarists and whatever, you know, maybe I'm not in touch with the outside reality as I thought I was. Um, So I get my validation on, on at least that part of the term. Um, And then, so, you know, like going back in time, because this, you know, happened two, on two separate occasions. I I go back in time, um, you know, to the conversation that we were initially having with uh, Lefty Dude. And I go, all right, you know, fine. This is not my first rodeo uh, with people who like to muddle the waters and mix up words, right? And I've given this example uh, on the show as well. You know, there there are certain words that that people don't like, right? And and so I have to I have to change the language a little bit in my own respect, um, t- just to just to move the dialogue forward. So we we have this definition, right? You know, uh, private ownership over capital or private ownership over the means of production, um, and Lefty Dude doesn't like the term capitalism as you know, which is what I, which is the word I use to define that term, the, you know, the word I use to, to attach to that definition. Uh, and then it, it harkens back to a time that I had another discussion uh, with a statist buddy of mine. Uh, imagine that. And we were, you know, we were getting into the discussion of like, you know, how contracts uh, are adjudicated and what the term contract means. I, and he goes, well, you can't have a contract without the state. I go, why not? goes because implicit in the contract is that it will be enforced by the state i go well that's not implicit at all he goes yes it is i go fine you know like i don't want to get i don't want to get hung up on terms and definitions i'd rather i'd rather have a discussion or a debate or an argument even um, over philosophies and ideas word terminologies we can get past real easily so i said all right fine you can have your definition of contract, which is, you know, state enforced, uh, ag- agreements or whatever. I said, well, I'm going to change the letter, right? I'm going to C O N T R E C T contract new word. Just made it up definition. Almost exactly the same as, you know, a contract, except a contract allows for third party arbitration services and adjudication outside the realm of the state right there in the definition. Just made it up fucking my word now um now can we discuss contracts in terms of you know uh how disputes get resolved outside of of the state and can we have a contract in a free society as opposed to contracts right let's let's have that discussion so when when you know again going back in time to dealing with lefty dude what word do i need to use right to satisfy their claim um that you know there's there's a a um, a private ownership over production a private ownership over capital uh that doesn't involve uh 
business or capitalist or corporate control over the state. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, no word was provided for me, right? Like I, I understand, you know, there's, there's mutual mutualism and syndicalism. Uh, and a lot of that implies, uh, group ownership, uh, over, over capital and group ownership over the, you know, the quote unquote means of production. So I don't want to attach those terms to private because it's, you know, it's, it's not implied there. But so, so in the minds of the left, right, they, 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 they advocate for freedom, right? He's like, I don't like, I don't like isms and I don't like ists. I just like freedom. I go, well, what, what do you call a person who likes freedom then? Right? Like you, you know, I like labels. I like having words that describe things. I'm not trying to get like the 1984 dictionary where all the words don't mean anything and they're all eliminated from the vocabulary. I like, I like expanding that, you know, knowledge base rather than contracting it for, you know, ease of use and, and, you know, for some political agenda, I guess. Um, and there's no word. They, the, the left has no word <laughs> to describe what we're talking about. And yet they say they're anti-capitalists. Um, so the only word that we currently have for, the, for you know, private ownership over capital, uh, private ownership over the means of production, you know, private collection, whatever, we have that word. It's capitalism. Um, so when they say they're anti-capitalism or anti-capitalists, Right. The implicit argument there uh, is that they're against the private ownership of capital. Like they don't want that. They want freedom, but not private ownership of capital. Um, and so that's, you know, that's uh, that's about as far as it went. And then we, you know, we ag agree to disagree. Uh, and it should be noted that the whole discussion was uh, the, the whole discussion was spurned, I guess, um, over uh, a claim that Lefty Dude made to uh, another friend of mine that, if, if there was going to be a debate or discussion over what it, what constitutes and what doesn't constitute uh, drugs, uh, that he would destroy her in the debate. And she had no chance because of his superior intellect coming from the left, um, I guess. So we started there um, and, and, you know, I narrowed that down to the point where I said, well, I, I just want to get, you know, we, we have to get our terms right. You know, again, what do you consider to be a drug, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, and you know, in, in the conclusion of that part of the discussion was basically, uh, he, he made that claim that he would destroy her in a debate or a discussion, um, not out of any, uh, sense of like credibility, but that he was just angry and didn't want to have the discussion. I go, well, that's a whole separate discussion then, man. You know, if, if you're going to make bold and boisterous claims, you, you got to back it up. You know, if, if, if you don't want to have the discussion, just say so, you know, multiple times you said, well, that's a discussion for a later time and we tabled it, you know, and, and we moved on. Um, but you can't make those claims, you know, that you're going to destroy someone in a debate because of your superior knowledge and intellect, uh, and then not back it up, which unfortunately, again, is what I get from the left a lot. Um, and so that whole discussion got into, you know, him saying that, um, uh, a lot of the, the problems with the discussion is, you know, the distortion of terms. Uh, and I said, yeah, mostly by left libertarians. Uh, at which point he said, well, I am the left libertarian here. Uh, and, and off we went to the races uh, on that, which despite his history lesson, despite me granting him that words may have meant something in the 1800s, uh, they certainly don't mean the same things today and they don't carry the same connotations uh, today that they did back then. Um, and then again, me validating at least to myself uh, that claim by talking with a coworker who is just your average, everyday, normal guy, and he has a general understanding or a basic understanding of what we mean when we throw out the term uh, capitalism. And for those who go like, well, that implies the state, then we go anarcho-capitalism, no state, new word, different meaning, you know, similar meaning but different uh, to satisfy you, um, you know, just just like you know, uh, you know, we'll we'll bandy about the term cronyism. Right. Well, that's not real capitalism. That's cronyism. Right. New word. Same term. You know, everyone's fighting over this word uh, and it has a meaning. If we just stick with that, then we can make up other words around it uh, or just accept what it, it's defined as. All right. I'm done. Or at least I think I'm done because I know now that I'm going to get criticism over the word and how it relates to anarchy and so on. Um, so let me just say this. It is my opinion and it is just an opinion that if when we reach uh, 100% liberty, 100% freedom, the, the 
anarchistic society uh, where the state has crumbled and fallen and no one is rising to take its place. Within that structure, uh, a capitalist economy will uh, emerge or develop or be a part of, right? And again, right now we have terms like agorism, um, to, you know, to, to, to define, you know, uh, business operations that are, uh, are created with the sole purpose of, of taking down the state uh, in, in that respect. And when you have that uh, anarchist society, that free, that free and open world, uh, where without the, the corrupting influence of the state or of governments, uh, that we won't need terms like that either, because it'll just be the marketplace. It'll just be, you know, the economy. Uh, and uh, it is, my, again, my opinion that that economy will emerge to be capitalistic, where, where private ownership uh, stands above all. And there's another, you know, you know, lefty person on Facebook uh, who's pretty prolific with her postings. I'll grant her that. Um, but she, you know, she thinks that, again, the, the she doesn't consider herself to be an, anar- uh, uh, an anarchist because she thinks that the only way to secure a capitalist economy is to have the protection of the state. Um, also, also a falsehood. So you have an anarchist uh, society, you know, f- philosophical anarchist abound for whatever reason. Um, and the only, the only way that works and the only way that gets maintained is the respect for private property, um, and trade amongst people. And the term that we have today to use for that, uh, is capitalism, you know, private owners of property, private owners of capital, private owners of, you know, <clears throat> the means of production, because I'm still okay with that term as antiquated as it may be. Um, and you let those people trade amongst themselves freely, openly. And then that's it, you know, and, and can, can a cooperative exist? <clears throat> can more than more than one person own the same piece of property? Absolutely. Right. Cause we have contracts, uh, to, to, to declare that to be so. Um, so I, I don't concern myself with that. I just, you know, I don't see, I don't see how, uh, absent state coercion and state interference in a marketplace or in a society, um, how we'll all turn into communists or socialist or fascist or any other of those things, um, voluntarily. Like I don't see it. And I don't see it because at the very least you'll have me opposing it. Right. So you'll, you'll never have a hundred percent buy-in to any of those other, um, any of those other political breakdowns or political structures um, or economic structures even because I'll, I'll oppose it and I'll, uh, <clears throat> I'll oppose it until I'm either, you know, long gone or eliminated or too early. And I'm sure there are others like me who will, you know, declare our property to be so and then defend it as best we can uh, because absent, absent state protection of property, you can still defend your own and it still makes it yours. Uh, you know, cause I, like I've said before, um, you know, rights, rights and property and all that is either what we've agreed upon or what can be defended and absent the state defense mechanism, uh, to secure your property, you're going to be on your own. And can you hire it out? Absolutely. If someone else takes it over, does it make it theirs? No, but it, you know, not, not in theory, but definitely in practice. Um, and I would consider those, you know, not part of the system, but violators of the system or whatever mechanism is in place right? Violators of private property. And also, you know, as violators, if, if they take it from you, um, by force, um, then they have no justification to worry about it being taken it, you know, taken back from them by force or any other means, right? I mean, that's, if it's consistent with their philosophy, they can't get mad when someone uses it against them. So I'm not, uh, it's another thing I don't concern myself too much about, but I do think, um, you know, I, I do think my reasons are sound, right? You, you eliminate the state and natural free trade emerges. And the word we have to use for that is capitalism. Uh, and we don't have to attach a necessity to the state to that. And if you want to, you put the hyphen in and you, we move forward with the discussion, right? You, you don't like capitalism. Here's, here's another word, anarcho-capitalism. Uh, you don't like capitalism. Here's a, or, or you do like capitalism. Here's another word, cronism, right? Like we can, we can, we've, we've, we've acquiesced multiple words, um, to get past that philosophical hurdle. Um, and yet people still harp on, on the word itself.
So that's that's why. Now, moving on. Headlines. This is what keeps us working for the man. Uh, headline, the Nash Equilibrium minimum wage is zero. Uh, headline, you might not get your tax refund if the government stays shut down. Uh, headline, mayor of Mexican town assassinated during his first day in office. Uh, headline, judge confirms Oregon engineer has a First Amendment right to call himself an engineer. Uh, headline, Boston Symphony sued for equal pay for female flute player. Uh, headline, the world could use fewer holier-than-thou libertarians. Oh, we're starting with that one. And finally, headline, retailers rejecting customers' cash. All right, let's do a bunch of these short nuggets. Uh, the world could use fewer holier-than-thou libertarians. Uh, source for this one, Tom Woods. I don't usually uh, pull up his stuff because it's usually in like podcast or video form. Uh, however, again, short, brief, to the point, props to Tom Woods out there for making it happen what the world needs fewer of in 2019 humorless libertarian scolds they're generally of the left-wing variety and a quick side note uh, i'm pretty i don't remember the order but i i may have pulled this article um, after that discussion uh with lefty dude um just because you know in my in my reflection over it and my do my show probably go like This is what I'm talking about. All right, back into it. They're generally of the left-wing variety. I'll give you an example of the phenomenon. The other day, former guest of the show posted this on social media. Uh, It's a picture you can see it in the article. It's a uh, picture of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And the, the meme part of it is, My thermos keeps coffee hot and iced tea cold. How does it know? Uh, back into the article, in case you don't recognize her, this is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who was recently elected to Congress. The person who posted the meme was promptly scolded. I find, this is from like a, a comment, I guess, on Facebook. I find these so incredibly unproductive and insulting. It's a horrible strategy for libertarians, and frankly, more than a little sexist. Who is this scold? Let's call him Mr. Sunshine. He's one of those anti-Ron Paul libertarians, the lot of whom could hold their conversation or hold their convention in a telephone booth if those existed anymore. He's a nasty and vicious guy for whom everyone is a racist. You know the type, surely. I replied as follows. I've pixelated the name of the original poster whom Mr. Sunshine was insulting. Shame on you, this is Tom Woods. Shame on you for being sexist. In all seriousness, I'm not a huge fan of these either. But it's extremely obvious that she's an intellectual lightweight, and yet she gives her th- yet and yet gone. She is an intellectual lightweight, and yet this gives her no pause at all in proposing a radical restructuring of the entire economy in the form of her proposed Green New Deal. If you haven't read it, it's much worse than you probably think. So perhaps for strategic reasons, a case can be made for cutting back on the mockery, but in strict principle, someone with such hubris and power lust deserves savage mockery. Uh, Back to the article. Now, note to Mr. Sunshine's immediate use of the leftist accusations. Why you're sexist? Because we're saying a particular woman is an intellectual lightweight, which happens to be obvious to everyone. For heaven's sakes, someone started a GoFundMe campaign to send books on economics to Bernie Sanders. David Hogg was pounded mercilessly for speaking in platitudes and anyone could have scripted in advance. So under what circumstances would it be all right to be critical of or mock a woman? Any? None? Why the double standard? The whole thing plays into the stereotype of women as delicate flowers who can't take criticism. We can debate the effectiveness of mockery, but there is certainly no moral problem with mocking a would-be tyrant. Also, I might add, we are presently governed by a man who had a special insult for every one of his opponents. I am unconvinced that a college professor ought to be instructing us on what works. Uh, Then we read another comment on Facebook. Rebut her bad ideas. I have. So have you. Stop making a meme of her that only makes us look anti-intellectual, mean, and sexist. Just don't complain when we rightfully get charged with all three. Did you catch that? Rightfully? So if leftists accuse the original poster of sexism, Not only would this person not jump to his defense, but he'd say he had it coming to him. Uh, 
with friends like these, wait, these aren't friends. These are enemies. Someone whose first instinct is to adopt one of the state's demonizing, oh, demonization words and throw you to the wolves is not your friend. I don't start things with these people, but I finish them if they start with me, or I report on them to you if they start with anyone else. Meanwhile, you'll find plenty of normal people who won't, you, who won't accuse you of anything else uh, because they're not brainwashed automatons in my Tom Woods Elite show elite. And then it goes, that's the end of the, basically the end of the article. And I'll say I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the middle on this one as well, because whereas uh, AOC, I think that's what, how they're labeling her now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, deserves to be mocked for almost everything she says. Um, what has come out since uh, this article was um, her dance video from college. They went, look at her dance. And my general thought is, so what? So she, so she's, so she's dancing. She did a dance video and like, what's, you know, what's the point? And my fear uh, with mocking that sort of thing uh, is that it bolsters the people who voted for her and the people who like her, right? And they're they're all wrong. Um, so I don't I don't know how effective you know, mocking that aspect of, of her life is like, I just, I'm not, I'm not putting down the people that mock it. I'm just saying like, as an effective strategy, um, who cares that she's dancing, right? There's, there's enough, you know, quotes of, and I'm not saying that, you know, you, you're, you're a bad person for mocking her dancing, you know, by all means do it. I just, I don't, I don't care enough to do it when there's so much more to talk about, you know, like, you know, she, she comes out and says, uh, she wants to tax the top bracket 70% of, of earnings over like $10 million, right? So like your $10 million, you're taxed at like 70% on that. Um, and that, that slides by because, you know, well, for the mainstream that slides by because everyone's talking about her dancing. No, let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, let's talk about that tax bracket. Let's talk about how she plans on funding all of her programs, um, I've, I've seen uh, one video, right, of of her in an interview talking about um, how those things get funded, where the extra money is going to come from, who's going to pay for it. Uh, and I've seen dozens of posts uh, about her dancing, right? Like one right after the other. Look, oh, look at her dance. Oh, 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 look, she's such a bad, you know, whatever. Um, no, like that's that's not even the, the, the bigger issue or the bigger picture. So whereas uh, we can have a sense of humor and we can, you know, mock her for whatever it is uh, we choose, um, let's also not lose sight of the bigger picture. And no, you're not sexist. You're not racist, um, you know, for liking those things. The other th- so the other thing, um, I posted this on my personal page, and I don't even know if it, this is the right forum to get it out. Uh, but as long as this article mentioned David Hawk, uh, I, I listened to the Louis C.K. bit um, where, you know, where he's mocking the Parkland shooters and the, the, the victims and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and personally, I didn't find anything wrong with that either. Right. If you if aside from the trouble he's gotten himself into with the left um, as part of like the Me Too movement. Um, if you put his material side by his new material side by side with his old material, um, it's just as offensive as it's always been. Uh, it's just as obscene as it's always been. Um, and in my opinion, just as funny uh, as it's always been. So, you know, comedy is comedy is one thing. Comedy is a useful outlet. But the, the PC crowd puts the the kibosh um, on all sorts of humor and whether or not he gets uh, in too much trouble. Um, for his new jokes, um, I personally believe that the the world, um, to maintain its sanity, needs more comedians like Louis C.K. willing to buck that trend and to be anti-PC, um, even in the face of the entire PC movement, um, just to like to right the ship, to balance it out, uh, because too many comedians who who are funny. Uh, even regardless of their political affiliation, 
um, are being eaten alive by the PC crowd where, you know, you're, you're not allowed to make certain jokes cause you don't fit into certain groups of people. Um, and that's, that's silliness and nonsense in and of itself. So yeah, mockery, good humor, good, funny, good. Um, does it, does it make you racist, sexist, or, or bigoted in any way? No, not at all. Not at all. Just funny. And that's what comedy's for. Moving on. <clears throat> all right. I like this one. Mayor of Mexican town assassinated during his first day in office. Mexico is no stranger to the assassinations of elected officials and candidates for office. And on Tuesday, the latest act of political violence to rock the nation occurred in a town in the southern state of Oaxaca, however you pronounce that, when the newly sworn-in mayor was murdered by a group of gunmen while on his way to his first official meeting. Uh, Alejandro Aparicio Santiago, a member of the AMLO's National Regeneration Movement, had only just taken office in the town of uh, Tlaxiaco when he was gunned down, according to the New York Post. Holding elected office in Mexico is a perilous task. According to one figure, 175 politicians were murdered between September 2017 and August 2018. Uh, Aparicio Santiago wasn't the only NRM member to be murdered over the past week. On Sunday, Maria Ascension Torres Cruz was murdered in the state of Morelos. Though AMLO's campaign on ending Mexico's violent war on the drug cartel and travels around the country in a car with only light security, local politicians are often targeted because they crack down on corruption and local crime or because they cut a deal with one cartel and were targeted by the car- that cartel's enemies. In Oaxaca, mayors have been killed in disputes over land. Oaxaca Governor Alejandro Murat promised a thorough investigation of the attack with left four others injured. And like I said, I'm a big fan of the way uh, Mexico, Mexicans, uh, Mexican quote-unquote criminals handle business uh, when it comes to politicians you know, local or otherwise. I just think, um, you know, again, based on my location and affiliations, I, I can't be as vocal, I guess, uh, or as overtly uh, violent about this as uh, I, I may have otherwise would have been or like to be. But I don't, I've never seen a problem with this sort of action. Um, I, I would like to see more of it here. Um, it's sad that, you know, the, the other example that, um, I don't remember if we brought it up on the show or if it's just in the news of the, you know, the, the most anarchistic town in the world, um, where they kicked out all the politicians and won't let them back in and, you know, kind of run things on their own down there voluntarily. Um, you know, I look at that and I go like, why is it always, why is it always the Mexicans? Like, what is it about that culture, uh, that, uh, that, you know, makes it happen? Right. I, I loved reading the stories of like the new police chief in charge of some Mexican town being gunned down and the next police chief being gunned down as well. Like we don't we don't need uh, those politicians, those bureaucrats, those you know law enforcers in our life. We just don't need it. Uh, you know, if you, if you want to handle defense, by all means. Uh, but I think we all know that, you know, n- neither here nor there. Is that what's going on, right? It's it's not about the local police, you know, only protecting the the, the citizens. Um, it's about you know enforcing the law, and and doing that sort of thing. Same with you know whatever policy. So what if he's you know uh, an anti-drug war politician? I'm sure there's other things that he's you know going to be cracking down on uh, instead, right? And like they said, you know, uh, anti-drugs on for one cartel, but you know pro-drugs for the other type of thing abounds. So I just, I, you know, brings a, brings a tear of joy, uh, to my eye to read articles like this and to wonder, to ponder, um, uh, where, where and when, um, the, the American side of that equation will get to the point where that sort of activity is more acceptable, uh, to the general public, right? You know, it was, it uh, Oh man, what was the number? 175 politicians uh, murdered in one year down in Mexico. You know, when, when, where, where can we have that here, right? When, when can, when can we start matching those numbers, um, effectively, you know, throwing off the yoke of those who claim to rule us, 
right? AOC from the last article, AOC uh, wouldn't be anything, um, you know, and we wouldn't have to worry about her, her communistic and her socialistic and her, her agenda uh, if nobody wanted the office because the, the fear of taking the office was too great um, for your own personal life and liberty, right? If, 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 if you eliminate all those who claim to rule over you, then no one will want that, you know, no one will want the job anymore. Um, and again, you know, I'm peaceful means whenever peaceful means are possible, uh, but effective or ineffective is more like it, right? You know, how many of those, uh, 175 politicians, how many other people filled those spots, right? How many, how many other people want the job, um, knowing that within a week of taking office, you're going to, you're going to be a target for the entire time you're in office, no matter what you do, right? Who wants it? Nobody wants it. And nobody should want it. And those, those willing to take the risk to get it should, you know, face similar consequences as well. Um, so yeah, always, a, always a big fan of, of what I'm going to call Mexican justice, uh, when it comes to offing politicians and bureaucrats and the like, um, cheers or salute or whatever. All right. This next headline, the Nash equilibrium minimum wage is zero. Um, I pulled this up because again, uh, having a discussion with my coworker, my average everyday normal guy, uh, coworker, um, even he has a general understanding that, you know, I don't, uh, again, I don't know how we got into the discussion. Um, I think it was talking about like, you know, getting jobs, uh, getting jobs for his kids. Cause they're like 16 now. Um, one might be able to handle a job. One might not be able to handle a job, um, for, you know, personal reasons. Um, but just how, you know, the, the, the rising minimum wage makes it difficult. Um, uh, oh, I know how we got into it. We were, t- it wasn't even that at all. We were talking about, um, the robots in McDonald's taking your order. Um, <laughs> uh, and how, you know, they, they put in the robots to, to keep costs down because the minimum wage keeps going up and that, you know, even he had an understanding that the higher that goes, the more people, the more companies, uh, will advance technologically as opposed to, uh, keeping humans around to do it. So I, you know, I, what MC always says is the, the minimum wage is always zero. Um, those who aren't worth 15 will be stuck at zero until they are. And, you know, that could take a while, right? If, if it was five, they could easily find some skills that got them up to five or, you know, or lower even. Um, but until they, until they gather the skills that make them worth 15, they'll be stuck at zero and there'll be a net burden on society because, you know, those making 15 or more will then have to pay, you know, more in taxes to the state, um, because the people making zero end up on, on welfare, on the dole or on food or anything like that, um, to, you know, for, for sustenance. So those making more than the state mandated minimum wage end up paying more for those stuck at zero. So it was, it was ironic that again, we had that discussion and then I come home to, to work on, you know, my, my show stuff, uh, and this article pops up. So let's just, let's just get into the article, shall we? To, to again, validate and vindicate, um, stuff that we've already covered, stuff that we've already said, stuff that we already know, uh, to those people who, you know, may disagree. As the New Jersey legislature and governor debates the details of hike in the state's minimum wage to $15 an hour, it's worth taking a step back and contemplating one of the greatest thinkers in New Jersey history, Nobel laureate, John Nash. Uh, Nash was the subject of the 2001 film, A Beautiful Mind, starring Russell Crowe. Great movie, too, by the way. Uh, Back to the article. In the most basic economic terms, a minimum wage is a price floor that distorts the supply-demand curve, thus creating an inefficiency. In layman's terms, the minimum wage reduces employment for less skilled and less educated workers by forcing employers to pay a wage that is higher than what they would ordinarily pay for certain jobs. This is generally the reasoning against raising the minimum wage or having one to begin with, as the New York Times argued back in 1987. Perhaps a better way to look at the harmful effects of the minimum wage is as a Nash equilibrium problem. A Nash equilibrium involves a system in which there are numerous participants, each with a strategy designed to maximize their own utility. Whether the participants cooperate or not, at some point they will 
each find a state in which no move makes them better off. It can be viewed as an iterative process. One person makes a decision that impacts the next, which impacts the next, and so on. This process continues until there are simply no more moves to make. Why not infinity dollars? The fight for 15, as the minimum wage increase campaign has generally been referred to, is merely an arbitrary moniker with a nifty catchphrase. It sounds good. Let's all fight for a $15 wage. But why? Wouldn't we prefer a sweet 16? After all, 1501 is better than 15, and so on, and so on, and so on. Of course we would. But why stop there? How about taking 20, or thankful for 30, or begging for Benjamins? They are all fairly arbitrary. If anything, we might as well simply use, show me the money. That is because where this part of the equilibrium problem ends is at infinity. Just some vague concept, as much money as, as money as possible. After all, 1501 is better than 15, and so on, and so on, and so on. We saw similar logic in the 1998 film, There's Something About Mary. In a scene where Ben Stiller's character picks up a hitchhiker, a discussion about the 8-minute abs video sheds light on the faulty logic that raising the minimum wage is premised on. If you can get great abs in 8 minutes, why not a 7-minute workout? But if you can do it in seven minutes, why not six? This would, of course, lead all the way down to zero minutes. And thus, with certainty, no ab workout. On the way back up, it leads to an infinite workout. And of course, the optimal workout time is based on each individual's needs. One can imagine the scene uh, being about the minimum wage as opposed to an abs workout, with the hitchhiker offering up the greatest idea of raising the minimum wage to 15 and stiller. Responding with, unless, of course, we raise the minimum wage to 20. The minimum wage level, as we push the number to infinity, is simply a line reflecting who gets harmed and who doesn't. Sadly, the minimum wage is not a joke. It has real-world negative consequences for those who can least afford fewer job opportunities. The primary purpose of a minimum wage is to protecting those who would otherwise earn above that level at the expense of those who would otherwise earn less. This was always the original intent of the minimum wage, and today, whether nefarious or not, these laws have had the same impact. The minimum wage level, as we push the number to infinity, is simply a line reflecting who gets harmed and who does not. At some point, an employer simply cannot afford to hire an employee. At some point, there are simply no jobs to be had. Zero dollars is best. Then we start to bring the number back down. First to the realm of real numbers, then to numbers that could feasibly lead to actual employment then to numbers that start to allow the most people to participate, then to numbers that do not exclude those most in need of work to be employed. And finally, we settle on the level that takes the decisions out of the hands of the government. It is not simply, it was not some arbitrary number. Rather, it is zero. As in, there is simply no level of minimum wage that can make sense when looked at as a Nash equilibrium problem where we take logical steps from zero to infinity and then all the way back down to zero. Do we prefer the Nash equilibrium in which every person is free to choose their own employment path? It is only at this final state of which there does not exist a government-imposed and arbitrary minimum wage level that the system can find its true equilibrium. Only in this optimal state can every participant in the system determine at what level they are willing to work or offer employment based on their own ability and utility curve. At any level, above zero, a minimum wage has the potential to exclude someone from employment. At any level, above zero, then, there exists the possibility of harm to people. At zero, the possibility simply does not exist. Do we prefer the Nash equilibrium in which every person is free to choose their own employment path? Or do we prefer allowing Governor Murphy and the New Jersey legislature, or the federal government for that matter, to arbitrarily pick a number at which there are some winners, but mostly losers? the ones who can afford it the least. And people always take shots at Walmart, McDonald's, uh, now Amazon. And I don't know much about Amazon's hiring practice. Uh, but what I do like about places like Walmart and McDonald's um, is their willingness to hire people um, below the, you know, the, the societal threshold, I guess. I don't, I don't know if I'm saying that. Let me explain it, and maybe it'll make sense in a minute, right? Like, we don't need greeters 
at the door at Walmart, right? It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's nice to have a host welcoming you into Walmart, um, but it's not really like a necessary function of the business. Um, what's great about, you know, the, the, the greeters at Walmart um, is that they're usually elderly people, right, who are, for the most part, semi-retired or permanently retired and just got bored, right? They're, they're not out there, you know, hurting for work or needing a job or whatever. They just, you know, they, they retired from whatever career they had and they're just need work or some, sometimes probably some extra spending money, but a lot of it is just, you know, to get back out and to feel like a productive member of society. Um, and they probably get paid close to the minimum wage, uh, if not a little bit above it, depending on where they're at, because they don't have a, a difficult job function, right? They wear the vest. They say, Hey, how are you? How are you doing? And you walk to the door and that's their whole job, right? So it gives them value, uh, you know, back in their life and to the community and to Walmart because now Walmart has greeters. But you raise the you raise the minimum wage to fifteen, and then Walmart has to decide. Well, how how badly do we need those greeters, right? For for seven bucks an hour, for eight bucks an hour, yeah, it's nice to have. People feel good about it. For fifteen bucks an hour, well, with all those stores around the country and all those hours that they're open, you know, doubling the wage or doubling the cost from Walmart's perspective of having those is, is probably going to weigh heavily, um, not only for those greeters, but for, for other store employees as well. Um, same with McDonald's, right? I don't know. Um, I don't know how to phrase this right either. Um, but for lack of a term, I don't know how many times I've walked into McDonald's and seen one of the, uh, janitorial members, uh, to be a slow member of society, someone with down syndrome or other, you know, uh, or other disability, um, similar to that. <clears throat> I'm okay with the term retard, even, because I don't, I don't find it to be derogatory, even though you probably do. Uh, I don't know how many times, like, those guys clean up right now. Is, does that person um, necessarily have the skill set to warrant uh, a $15 an hour job? Probably not. So like as you know, so like I said earlier, what happens when the wage goes up well past that person's capability, uh, you know, to to contribute, right? Where they go like, well, you do a good job, however, you know, maybe not fifteen dollars worth to to sweep the bathroom, right? Maybe someone else, you know, who's now making fifteen dollars an hour instead of ten, uh, because of the minimum wage hike, has some additional responsibilities of sweeping the bathroom that now you, sir. Um, who are really only worth seven or eight or probably less than that, but the minimum wage, you know, inflates it a little bit. Um, you're just out of work. So now $15 an hour guy has to flip burgers and clean bathrooms and get taxed a little bit more because, you know, $5 an hour guy who, you know, is a little bit slow and disabled or whatever, um, is now fully unemployed. Um, and now, you know, collects another, another state's benefit check, um, to, to cover the difference. Right. Like what, what good is that to anybody? Right. What, what good is it to the Walmart guy who just wants to feel like a valuable, productive member of society and gets a part-time Walmart job? And what good is it to the, you know, the slow member of society who also wants to feel like a valuable person making an impact? Um, but they just, they're incapable of, of contributing what the minimum wage requires them to be paid. Right. Not that they can't, not that they won't be able to in the future, just that some people, aren't there yet. And some people will never get there. And how does it harm them, uh, to restrict what they're able to be paid <clears throat> simply because of, again, some arbitrary number that the government makes up. So, uh, for economics terms, Nash equilibrium zero, uh, for practical terms, you know, why are we doing that anyway? All right. I'm going to do one more article probably without commentary. Cause I'm running up on, uh, time constraint, uh, but I wanted to get this one in and out. So this is what keeps us working for the man. You load 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. Travis Merle wrote the song 16 tons about working your life away in the coal mines and spending your whole paycheck and then some at the company store. You had no other options in corporate mining villages of the early 20th century. 
The most famous version of the song came from Tennessee Ernie Ford. 16 Tons was covered by many others, including Johnny Cash and even Elvis, at some concerts, though he never recorded it. And South Park recently featured their own version of an episode called Unfulfilled, about working for Amazon. <clears throat> of course, South Park is a comedy cartoon series that parodies real-life events. They depicted Amazon fulfillment centers as the only available job in this small Colorado town. People worked in dangerous collaboration with machines and went home to spend their entire paycheck on Amazon. Jeff Bezos was depicted as a telepathic villain. He would tune to various Alexa streams to gauge the mood of the town. And anyone who didn't do his bidding would have their prime status revoked. Comparing Amazon to coal mines is funny because it exaggerates a fear in society. Everyone buys from Amazon, so the small businesses go under. And everyone working for the small businesses goes to work for Amazon. South Park did the same thing with Walmart episode about a decade back. Walmart possessed some unknown power which compelled people to shop there. They were powerless to resist. Even better, uh, if they could work there and get an employee discount despite the low pay. And then Amazon came along to compete with Walmart. And for consumers, this is a win. Sure, we can talk about consumerism and how much we need. But the fact is, Amazon and Walmart provide the necessities for pretty cheap. But I wouldn't want to work for either one. Personally, I really wouldn't want to work for any corporation. Corporations are designed to resemble the feudal system as much as possible, and the government is the sweeper, making sure that corporate jobs is the best option for most Americans. It's just like how the king and lords conspire to keep the peasants in line and extract as much work and wealth as possible from the system. Think about it. The government makes you buy health care. Well, I might as well just get a job that covers it instead of trying to figure it out myself. The government puts up so many roadblocks to self-employment and entrepreneurship, regulations, licensing, paperwork, compliance agencies. Why bother? I might as well just go to a job and get home and not deal with the stress of it all. Sometimes the government forces independent contractors to be considered employees instead. This increases the liability and responsibility of the company. But it takes away the contract workers' freedom to work other jobs, set their hours, and remain independent. Now they have a boss instead of being their own boss. And people think they're getting stability from corporate jobs, like it's a sure thing. But don't get too comfortable, especially if the job is highly specialized. What if you're replaced by technology or younger workers? What do you do with 20 years' experience in something obsolete? You can be fired at any time. If it's 5 to 10 years before you were going to retire, what are you going to do? Find the job that pays just as well? Rely on bankrupt Social Security? Even if you're one of the few workers left who still have a pension, even private pension in the U.S. is are on shaky ground over half of a trillion dollars short on what they are supposed to pay out. Already, certain companies have escaped or reduced their pension obligations, shafting their former workers. But worst of all, corporations monopolize your time. <clears throat> 40 hours per week is a lot of your life. Add in commute times and you're getting ready, you're basically two-sevenths of your life to yourself. And when a person is that predictable, they are easy to control. They are easy to police, to advertise to, and to tax. You'll buy a car, you'll take out a mortgage. Oh, what a surprise how integrated the government is in the banking, auto, and oil industries. You'll keep your corporate job to pay for it all, and the income will be taxed. You'll be encouraged to spend by the media and your peers, and the spending will be taxed. Government policies funnel the workers into the corporations. The corporations keep the politicians in power, and the government taxes the hell out of the corporate workers' steady, reliable income. To break the system, we need to make our own path, instead of being herded into corporate America. And real alternatives exist, especially now. Do I need a full-time job? Do I need to commute to work? Do I need a car? Should I really saddle myself with student debt or home loan at such a young age? You don't necessarily need college to get the skills required for your dream career. Owning a home is one option of many. And the sharing economy could even reduce the need to own a car, save us money, cut traffic, and pollution. The best economy I can imagine is one where individuals all try to solve the biggest problem they can find based on their interest, fill a need, provide a service, create a solution. When you're responsible for creating your own career, the skills you learn will not apply to just one industry. The hustle will not only benefit you in one narrow sector. And yes, for some people, this will resemble corporate work. But for many others, it could, it could a job of their own creation that never even existed before. There's no right answer. Answer, it's up to you to grab your ingredients and blend them all together. None of us will end up with the exact same shake. Don't allow the government and corporations to hand you some bland concoction that works for them as if it's the best or only option. 
because right now the government and the corporations like the arrangements they have. As I talked about the other day, it's important to, to change embedded traditions that don't work anymore, but it can be tricky to see which ones are useful traditions, even if we don't know why, and which ones are simply outdated burdens. You always need options. One of the best ways to have options is to make a hobby, a backup plan, a backup job plan. If anything ever goes wrong, start that business you always wanted to, or teach lessons in something, provide a service, or make a unique, useful product not easily mass-produced. If my writing career suddenly came crashing down around me, I'd probably become sort of a wilderness guide, leading foraging and hiking expeditions. I get more serious about studying uh, wild medicinal plants and make products to complement my natural classes. Uh, I'd probably start by looking at Airbnb's local experience platforms that allow you to sell experiences to travelers. I would check out Etsy to sell products and I would use my experience and quickly gain more with marketing to grow the business. Times, they are a-changing. There is evidence that contract work, self-employment, and the gig economy are growing. So the future, I see, is not one where you hunker down at a corporate job for 40 years. That never seemed particularly fulfilling to me anyway. Rather, I see an end to the marriage between government and business. A time is coming where people are not cajoled into working their lives away at a meaningless job. And the best part is, the option is already available to anyone who decides to reach out and grab it. You don't have to play by the rules of the corrupt politicians, manipulative media, and brainwashed peers. Uh, basically, the end of the article. And, where my time? Woo! Made it! Uh, thank you very much for listening, everybody. You know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, facebook.com slash anarchistexperience, uh, show prep in the groups. And I don't know how much longer I'm going to do that. I might just switch over to mine uh, full-time on that. Facebook.com slash groups slash anarchistexperience, minds.com slash theanarchistexperience, uh, twitter.com slash theanarchistexp. And if you want to contribute to the show financially, uh, we're not banned, and I don't really care. Uh, Patreon.com slash The Anarchist Experience. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace.